chapter 5. Do I remember correctly if I think I heard you swear in Kasani, back in Kanda? Crows snapped out of their quiet, absent, staring into the large room at Lady Kai's question. That uh, sounds probable, they said with a small chuckle. Something I picked up from Sarene. Should give you an idea of how our conversations usually went. I also know at least five lines of a breaking celebration song and I want to say maybe three ways to tell someone to fuck off. A loud laugh drew both of their attentions to the other side of the roadside inn. It seemed the sound was the culmination of a long, lively conversation between the two Ori behind the bar that had somehow ended up with ale all over the counter. They were both trying to stop it from flowing into the whitewashed floorboards, one of them laughing so hard she couldn't stand up straight. The inn was very sufficiently lit. Crow had mumbled something about it rather being disturbingly bright as they stepped into it earlier that day. Now, Sena was starting to set, and the room was slowly turning a warm pinkish orange. It vaguely reminded Lidikai of the monochrome of Eilitis, but still quite different. No hues ever mixed in the apices. Speaking of Kasani, Crow continued, the ribs mentioned your whole name, didn't they? It was a bit muffled with the whole... They gestured in front of their face, as if to indicate the helmet of a rib of Calopis. Is it one of those incredibly long ones everyone gets when they move to an apex? I was born in an apex. Sure, okay. Do you still get the long names, then? It's Dasas I in my case, Lidikai said. Shorter than I expected. Lidikai tried to continue the rhythm of the conversation matched the breathless speed of Crow's every word. Being unsuccessful in that, he made a series of hand motions that managed to show that he was going to get another drink, and wondered if Crow wanted one as well. They nodded. The two barkeeps had gotten control over the rogue ale by now, it seemed, but the sweet, thick smell lingered. The one who had almost entirely crumbled laughing was now sitting on a tall stool behind the counter, fanning herself with a coaster, eyes a little wet still. She smiled apologetically when Lidikai approached while motioning for a refill in the glasses he brought. Sorry if we disturb the two of you, she said with a sigh, shaking her head as she reached back for the bottles she needed. Aklay was so sure they had finally gotten the hang of the balancing... <laughs> a whine, indicating she couldn't hold back another laughter attack, stopped her from continuing. She still managed to pour the drinks, however still shaking her head, not able to say another thing. Crow was tapping the table with their fingertips, and as Lidikai put down the glasses and slid back onto the bench, they lifted one finger in the air in triumph. Storm! Isn't that what I means? What about Sass? Lidikai shrugged a little. Cataclyst, I suppose? Or incitement? I usually go with latter. Not that I usually translate it. Crow grinned. So, did you pick your general mood based on your surname or the other way around? Cheeky, Lidikai muttered with a tired, familiarly conflict-avoiding smile. He took a sip of his drink. They had some errors here. They seemed to remember it being difficult to get outside of Yellow Midoril, 
but then he remembered how small that outside was. The spicy fragrance made him think of his dark little office, the smell of wax candles, old books, sandalwood, incense. He sighed into the glass, keeping it under his nose. It was based on the weather when I was born, as is tradition in Yellow Meadowville, or in the apices, at least, he said. Can't say I've ever seen a storm of incitement on any day. How does one of those look? Crow said. It's meant to be a combination of the physical and the abstract. Crow raised both their eyebrows with a small smirk. Love how you say that as if it's an obvious thing. I, well, Didica took another sip of his drink. Some obscure sense of irony swam in the back of his head and he refused to pay it any mind. Crow square their shoulders and lazily spun the glass on the table. So which apex are you from? Lidika hesitated a little. Jibani. It's north of Iletus. A lot smaller. Crow nodded slightly. I did guess someone looking like you didn't actually plan to live in a place like Norris. Then again, you had the ribs after you, so I figured you were hiding there. Almost, a question. Lidika looked away. Then he frowned. Why did he leave Iletus? Didn't Crow ask that before? What had he answered? He felt as if he was staring into a white nothing in his mind. A sharp, uncontrolled shot of heat in his fingertips caused a surprised crack to appear in the glass in his hand. With a confused inhale, he stood up, causing the chair to fall behind him. His throat was tight. It felt as if his peripheral vision was trying to choke him. Crow started at Lidikai's sudden movement, mouth left hanging half open, looking down at the cracked glass, then up at Lidikai's scared face. Was it something I... Sorry, I need to retire, Lidikai heard himself say it. He was trying to look at Crow, but all he could see was the screaming face of Preceptor Athlia, her hair going up in flames, faster than paper. Sure, someone was saying, dripping through the noise of the fire, creeping through like needles through a cloth. Lidikai didn't exactly know how he got to his room, but as soon as the door closed behind him, he realised he was crying. Putting the word out wasn't difficult when your reintroduction to the outside was a trail of blood and howls. Lon didn't have to wander aimlessly at all. Work found her quickly. She would have appreciated if it had come in a less decaying package. As it were, she was standing in the long-left remnants of a small village, underneath the only roof that actually protected somewhat against the midday sun. In front of her, not in shadow, unfortunately, sway the body of an ori whose skin was crawling with tiny insects, slowly eating away at what was underneath. Its eyes were pools of maggots, an interconnected light brown writhing. The sun did not improve the smell of this creature. Does the deal please the hunter? sounded from the body's wide-open mouth, a hundred voices or more, in whispers like a wind passing by. Lon glanced over at the open cloth sack resting on a three-legged rotting wooden table. Half the payment promised, 
compiled in a manner she had seen before, things that may be of value at the moment in the place of conduct. Things gathered by beings who were not part of a society of this kind of trade. But it was indeed probably worth a bit more than half of the promised payment, and she saw a few things that would even be of interest to the companion she intended to try and bring with her. Unfortunately, that also meant going to Islet's before going anywhere else. But if the Diane had not found Derry right under her nose for so long, then neither would she suspect Lon going to the very place where she perched. Some things did not change. You could always trust the pride of a Diane, no matter what shape that pride took. It pleases me. And it also pleases me a lot more than your means of communication. She grinned at a thing, pointed teeth sliding out from underneath her thin, pale lips. There was no visible reaction. A white, swollen maggot fell to the ground out of the body's half-intact pointed ear with a dense thud. Leave the bounty at the crossroads of Puratua. There was a hunger in the many whispers coming from the mouth. It made Lon's grin linger. As the moons command me, swarm. The body turned and shuffled off like a puppet on invisible strings. Lon sighed heavily into the dry wood odour, had to mentally prepare for where she was going. Eyelitis always made her skin crawl. Do we have a clearer plan than just follow the signs? Crow said, stretching out on the deck chair. It seemed that, to them, the brightness of direct sunlight was preferable to the blinding whiteness of the interior of the inn. Do we need one? Lady Kai was not at the same level of comfort as Crow. He tried his best to stay in the shade of a large sprawling tajinner tree, beside which the two chairs and tables stood. Fair enough, Crow mumbled, folding their arms behind their head. Their golden-brown skin seemed to almost reflect light, and Lydikai felt blinded every time he looked at them in this light, especially now when they were not surrounded by the Kajisa, which could outbright anything in Runa, Lydikai was quite sure. He kept going back to fantasizing about his dark office at Egelin. Going out here this morning, alone, Lydikai had been fretful about seeing Crow again after his departure the night before. He had tried to busy himself with sorting some things for their coming travel, taking too long to decide what to have for breakfast, finding every spot to sit wrong. But when Crow had joined him, they had simply asked if he was okay, and then, when he had said that he was, had proceeded to act as usual. They had complained about the flavourless spreads that accompanied the bread, asked Lidjikai the name of the tree they were under, and now, having finished their breakfast, looked as if they were sleeping again. How long, they said, proving they were, in fact, not sleeping. Pardon? Lady Kai huffed, wondering if he had missed something leading to Crow's question. How long will it take to get to Cheramir, you think? I took some initiative, and I hope you'll agree with my reasoning, Lady Kai said. Crow opened one eye, peering at him across the table. Um, the Grey Drifter and the carriage wasn't exactly the fastest way of moving, and on closer inspection, it was actually a wonder we made it all the way here in that carriage. They weren't worth much, but I exchanged them for two Kega. We can ride up to Renetti. 
It's the first village within Dimiris Bailiwick. Apparently they have a rent service between this inn and Renetti, so we can leave the Kega there. It should take about two full days. You have been busy, Crow muttered. They paused for a while, mouth tensing into a line. Kager. Those demental six-legged monsters Ori ride on the East Coast? Lady Kai chuckled, surprised. I... well, they do have six legs, yes. But I've never thought of them as having a unison disposition. Crow let out another indecipherable short mutter. They were biting their lower lip. Do they scare you? Lidikai said, unable to keep the incredulity out of his voice, and notable amusedness. Crow groaned, sitting up from their half-lying position in the chair. They're all pointy and weird and full of teeth, they said in an unhappy mutter. As far as I know, they only have teeth in their mouth, Lidikai said, holding up one of his bony fingers. Yes, but you can see all of them, all the time. That's not right. That's one way of looking at it, Lady Kai said. But they are very fast. Ugh, the injustices I have to suffer for your inability to turn into a bird, Crow exclaimed, hands going up in the air in an exasperated gesture. I profoundly apologize, Lady Kai said with a smirk. Absolutely useless, Crow stood up, stretching. Oh, and there are no more inns along the way to Renetti that won't mean time-consuming detours, so... I bought us some camping supplies as well. Attend some dry rations bedrolls. Lady Kai started to stack their half-eaten breakfast on the colourful tray they had been given. A loud snort from Crow startled him, making him look up. The smile from just a moment ago was completely gone. They were practically glaring down at Lady Kai. I'll pay you back, they said curtly. No, no, it's all right. I don't... I'll pay you back. Lidikai closed his mouth fast enough for his teeth to make a sound. It had been all but a snarl from Crow, and they had promptly turned on their heel and made for the interior. Lidikai looked after them with raised eyebrows, before going back to collecting their glasses and plates. Whatever you say, he muttered. Lon hadn't really considered the stages of dilapidation a building could go through before, but she realised this one had gone through a few too many. The last time she was here, this place was already falling apart, abandoned except for the top floor. No one would have guessed anyone stayed here back then, and that was certainly still the case. Lichen and black mould painted the once light green wood on the walls. The whole building had long passed smelling like rot and had arrived at something akin to an old beach or a heap of mushrooms, or both. Lon was standing in front of a door that looked as if it hadn't been used for years. It was dark in the broken stairwell she was standing in and no light shone from any of the cracks around the mildewed door. She shrugged, thinking that she could at least find some relatively dry spot within to sleep, if nothing else. She opened the door. The smell that hit her from the inside was foul. She didn't know how it didn't seep out into the rest of the building. There were layers to the smell. Layers of rot and sourness and decomposition. 
An enormous round window at the far end of the attic let in the combined red and blue light of Manorim and Kensaro. Whatever you're peddling, I'm sure you don't want me as your customer. Lon would have recognized the voice anywhere. The unpredictable change in volume, the clear measured enunciation, the threat always at the end of each word. She turned towards the sound. In the darkness of the sloped ceiling across the large room, Lon noticed a motion atop what looked like a wide bed. An assortment of limbs made it out of the piles of textile heaped there, and two feet eventually met the floor, softly, carefully. Lon knew she was being watched by another hunter, and until Derry recognized her, she was very far from safe. I'm sure you could sort out killing anyone you needed on your own, Derry. You don't need my services. Lon grinned in the direction of the other body, seeing a shift in its contours, a change in stance, then a high-pitched, excited gasp. Drag me backwards and tickle my spot, Derry said breathlessly. Slowly, preeningly, she made it out of the shadows, legs showing first in the purple cold light of the night. Lon's eyes widened in disbelief as Derry's full form walked out into the moonlight, and she saw that the blood kith's light green eyes did the same. Fuck me, you look a mess, Lon. Derry chirped, eyeing Lon's body, still keeping a distance of two Ori's length. Have I missed some fashion trend in Bloodmore where actual blood is part of an appreciated ensemble? Lon reflexively wiped her mouth with her rough hand, noting the familiar texture of dried blood all around it. No wonder people had given her weird looks on the streets, even here. That's rich coming from someone with four arms, Lon gruffed. Derry's face brightened even more as she stretched all of her four hand-bearing appendages, flexing the fingers on them. I'm trying something new. Do you like it? Lon groaned loudly, crossing her arms. No. Never were one for art, were you? I prefer my art a little more practical than that. Like the art of spearing people or kicking someone out a window. Derry widened her light eyes even further in theatrical wonder. My, my, being locked up in a hole in the backwaters of all backwaters didn't exactly soften your edge, did it? Lon snarled, causing Derry to recoil. Yes, I remember clearly you trying to get me out of that situation, she said, glaring at Derry. You know full well you brought that waterfall of misery on yourself, pet, Derry said softly, moving closer to Lon. Lon didn't know if Derry had always smelled like this, but it momentarily sent her head reeling. The four-armed bloodkith carried with her a wave of blood, both old and new, a combination of acrid sharpness and earthy iron. Derry leaned in even closer, studying Lon's face. I would never have recognized you without that overcompensating saunter you've got going on, you know. How do you talk with all those teeth? And are your eyes sort of smaller? In a swift, agile motion, Derry bent down to closely study Lon's feet. You are not wearing heels, she said from a bent-over position. 
And you are still a head taller than me. That's new. And what's this? She gasped loudly, holding one of Lon's large hands in both her smaller ones. Claws! Oh, that's a lovely puppy. It could be a trick of the moonlight, but to Lon it looked as if Derry's eyes teared. She frowned at the blood kith, slowly pulling her hand from Derry's grasp. I got a job for us, she said, scratching the ginger bristle on her arm loudly. Derry made a surprised face at her. Tell you about it in the morning, Lon continued. A sudden, mind-numbing tiredness had washed over her. She had been moving constantly since she fled Welkin House. Her legs felt ready to collapse. Very well, Derry said, pouting. It better be good, then, for you to drag me through the agony of anticipation like this. Lon grinned through a wide yawn. Oh, it's good. I'm so glad you can always trust both white and yellow midoril to be unbearably hot or unbearably wet. Me, I love it the absolute best when it's both at the same time. Crow was practically screaming. They laughed in disbelief, looking at the bulging tent above themselves and Lidikai. The smattering of the rain was unbelievably loud. They had been forced to raise the tent in the rain. Their two Kega were standing underneath a very solid but solitary tree. There was no room for the tent there, and there was no other reliable shelter anywhere within walking distance. Therefore, the air in the tent was now very humid, since both Lidikai and Crow were quite damp. And the warmth, as Crow had pointed out, was most definitely nothing to scoff at. Lidika couldn't ignore the unsettling smell that rose from his wet robe, or the one that also came from his hair. The rain had acted like a catalyst for memories he had hidden in that robe and hair for years, but Crow made no indication to be bothered by the smell. They were busy staring at the surrounding canvas, shaking their head. After a while, there was a lull in the intensity of the rain. Isn't there some old ritual to make it stop or something? Some... Magic of weather, Crow said. The amount of energy and focus it would take to stop an entire rainstorm isn't something that is viable, especially not by a single practitioner, and that wasn't a question you needed an answer to. Lidikai's gradually quiet sentence was eventually completely overtaken by another burst of intense rain. Crow laughed. If Lidikai could judge it correctly... It seemed to be sympathetic. That was not at him. You're a teacher then, Crow said, as the rain quieted down again. Lady Guy cleared his throat. Yes, I was. Mainly. About weather? Lady Guy gave them a sceptical look, but they seemed sincere enough. That's not really a subject as such, he shifted bothered by how it felt when his shoes started to dry against his skin. I taught elemental magic, mainly the path of fire and heat. Some path of gravity. Everyone does that. Old teachers. In institutes, do. He cleared his throat again. Right. What is it you do? Crow blinked. It didn't look like surprise, but more like annoyance they tried to press away. Oh, you know, 
this and that. Lidikai wouldn't be able to say he did know, actually. When the mage simply frowned at them, Crow rolled their eyes. Shocking, right, that someone who has this happened to them at bloody random. They motioned towards where the hexes on their chest and back were. Doesn't go into any common line of occupation. Lidikai threw down his eyes when Crow's sharp glare found him. I do what I need to survive, they said. Before Lidikai could start to formulate some reply or apology, Crow switched on their grin again. This is enough, right? They nodded up towards the now relatively quiet smattering of rain. Lidikai tried to follow where Crow's tone of voice had gone, only to finally recognize the request for a truce. With a long yawn, Crow fell back against the bedroll. Then they sighed. Good night, storm of incitement. They mumbled underneath the bend of their arm that they had thrown over their face. Airaresa, Lady Kai said quietly, annoyed that his throat always seemed dry and uncomfortable. The good night phrase of the apices, of his yabi, had fallen out of him. Suddenly he almost heard Taran give the common reply of a Helidea, dripping with sarcasm as usual. Nothing fitted anymore. He remained sitting, staring down at the movement of his hands picking at the dirt underneath his nails. Eventually, he slowly lay down on his back, hands dry and warm, clasped across his chest. He felt the beating of his heart too clearly, both in his chest and in his stomach. When he removed his hands, he felt the beat reverberate in his spine. He was different out here. At the Institute, he was all but infamous for his dogged insistence on arguing everything. Some heated discussions had gone on for years. Several of them were completely unsolved as he left, he realized. He couldn't even remember what a single one of them was about now. But there was no trace of the predictable rhythm of those arguments in these jagged conversations he kept ending up in with Crow. Every word felt like a set of cobblestones thrown out in front of a speeding carriage. It all ended up in a confusing, insufficient jumble. He was unsure what he had thought and what he had said, as if he had bruises on his senses. He sighed sharply, before eventually drifting off to the dream mist as well.